A number of years ago, my wife and I drove alongside the Oregon Trail as we headed to a wedding in Boise, Idaho. For those who don't know the U.S. history of the Oregon Trail, or maybe you've never played that classic 80s and 90s computer game, the Oregon Trail was this road that was commonly traveled in the 1800s. It was first established by fur traders and then was used by tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of travelers to traverse the country. While people would go from Missouri to Oregon, they would travel through all sorts of landscape. It certainly wasn't an easy road because they had to travel with these horses pulling these large wagons with these large, hard wheels. The problem was, as they traveled over the course of months, weather patterns would change, terrain would be difficult, and people would end up dying, hurt, or their wagon wheels would simply fall apart. And that's just some of the problem. The other problem was just the earth itself. They had to go through sketchy mountain passes. They had to cross rivers either on their wagon itself or using some type of ferry system. The incredible thing about this trail is not just that it went from one side of the country to the other, but the fact that you can still see it. It's worn into the earth. Even after 200 years of erosion, you can still clearly see the wheel track marks. When we look at that and we think about the fact that some people went the wrong way or that some people died when they could have made wiser decisions, we, we think, well, like, how did they, they not get this? But we forget that we live now. We have highways that have been put through. We have clear road signs that are all along the, the countryside that will lead you to the right destination. These people went through miles and miles of terrain where at best they would just be making decisions by focusing on the ruts that were ahead of them. For those who weren't prepared or those who weren't thinking ahead, the problem became though that sometimes they would end up in the wrong rut, going in the wrong direction or towards something that would lead them into danger. There was a common saying at the entry points onto the Oregon Trail, which was, travelers, beware. You know, people, as they traveled, the Oregon Trail thought that it would lead to new life. But the reality was, sometimes it did, but sometimes it also led to their destruction. Jesus, when he taught about life, sometimes use the imagery of roads and pathways. He would talk about how roads were, were different and would lead in different directions, but ultimately he was concerned about the destination and the journey to get there. If you have a Bible, join me today in reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Here we will find Jesus beginning to land the plane of his great sermon on the mount. Here, after all his great teaching about what it means to live as a Christian, what it looks like to be a part of his kingdom and to, to not just live it for ourselves, but live it for the flourishing of others. As he's ending and, and kind of coming in on the descent of this message, he, he gives us this teaching about the journey and the road we may or may not be on. 
In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few will find it. This isn't a very complex analogy. Jesus says there's two roads in life that we can live on, that we can journey along. And while those roads may be easy or difficult, they ultimately end up in one of two places. He says if you go through the big gate on the broad, easy road, you will end up finding yourself headed towards destruction. But if you enter in through the narrow gate and travel the slightly more challenging road, you will not end up where you think you would. You'll actually end up at a beautiful and full life. We know that as Jesus is teaching this in context, he's talking about being a part of his kingdom and living for an eternity, starting now but going on even after death. He's talking about how we end up in one of two places, with him or without him. Which one will we choose? Well, as we think about that, it's very easy to say, well, I want to end up where there's life. But then why do so many end up on the other road of life? As I think about this passage, one of the questions that quickly comes to mind is, why is there this image of a big gate and a, a narrow gate? Why is the, the narrow gate the, the good gate? I mean, why, if God wants to have flourishing and, and, and see people come towards him, why is the gate so narrow? You know, I think we're uncomfortable with this idea of a, a narrow gate and a, a difficult journey because a lot of us don't like the idea of exclusivity. We understand that, that Jesus is using a language of exclusivity. He's saying that there is this small path that only a few can enter in through. And he says that only a few will go down that road. And, and we get kind of uncomfortable with it. You know, a lot of us believe that we're against exclusivity, but I would actually challenge that. I would say that's not a good thing to start with as we look at this passage. You know, while many of us are uncomfortable with exclusivity, we're actually only ex uh, uncomfortable with exclusivity that doesn't fit with our worldview. Let me give you an example. All of us are good with exclusivity of restaurants using FoodSafe. We say that restaurants that don't follow food safe practices should get shut down. Why do we say that? Because we don't want people to get sick. We want them to go out, have a good meal, and feel good afterwards. We don't have a, a problem with exclusivity of having women-only fitness centers. I know women who prefer to go to women's-only gyms because they don't want pervy guys staring at them while they work out. We're okay with this kind of exclusivity because it provides a safe space. The same is true for your kids. We're exclusive about who can teach kids in school. We don't want some creeper lurking around schools teaching kids and putting them in jeopardy. The same way we don't want a banker who's committed fraud or robbery taking our cash to deposit it. We're okay with exclusivity if we understand the purpose 
and agree with it. Well, the reason why the gate is narrow and few will get through it is because we are sinful people. The reason the kingdom of God is so narrow, the reason why so few people are a part of God's family is because all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short of God's standard as we've rebelled against him. As we've chosen to to live with the kingdom of this world instead of with his kingdom. And so because of our active rebellion, the reality is actually that none of us can get through the gate without the help of Jesus. None are worthy to enter through that gate. All of us actually start off out of an original place of sin headed towards destruction. But the good news that Jesus brings is that there is a way to get in. When we understand what Jesus is saying by this gate, we understand that the gate opens for us to be able to come in. You know, Jesus elsewhere in the book of John talks about the fact that he is the gate. In John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He goes on and says, I have have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When Jesus comes and he's teaching this and he teaches elsewhere, he's not just pointing out a principle. He's not just saying, There's a big road that everyone's going to be traveling on and there's a narrow way that you can only get in through me. But he actually comes and provides himself to be the gate and the gatekeeper. We see that elsewhere in scripture as well. When Jesus came, as he taught this word, he knew that he would go to the cross. He knew that he had come to pay the penalty of our sin, which is death. And so he died on the cross so that you and I might truly and freely receive the forgiveness for our sin and rebellion against his kingdom. What Jesus is doing here is he's starting the signal. As people are walking on this path of life and many in in the culture that Jesus are speaking to identify themselves as followers of him but they're walking in the wrong way and they they, kind of see a rut that they they thought was taking them in the right direction and they're following it and Jesus is going, hey, over here, pay attention. That rut leads to destruction. There's, There's a raging river up ahead. Come on over this way and I will show you. I will be the ferry that will carry you across. Jesus wants to ensure people won't die as they proceed to seek life. You know, if you know the history of the Oregon Trail, you know that one in ten who set off on that trail did not survive. Why would people go then? If 10% of all people died, why would you choose to go? Well, they went because they were seeking a better life. Reality is that 10 in 10 of us, 100% of us, are deserving of death and destruction. And we are all, before we meet Jesus, on the path that will head there. Each of us will face God one day and stand and account for which gate we entered through and which path we walked along. And so Jesus says, I am the gate and I will open up for you if you come to me. 
So the question of what the gate is has been answered. The question of why the gate has been answered. But the question of how do we enter in and receive this new light still needs to be answered. How, if we want to experience a flourishing life, if we want to avoid our ultimate peril, do we enter in through this gate and live this life to achieve what God will have for eternity? Well, there's two ways. The first is through a decision, and the second is an obedience and a following and living out that decision. The first part of entering into the kingdom of God is simply recognizing that we have gone another way that, that doesn't line up with God's kingdom. And we recognize that and we, we realize how that separates us for, from him. And so we do what Jesus encouraged us to do. We repent. Right before Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, he said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word repent means do a 180 and go another way. Jesus says, I want you to acknowledge and repent. I want you to ask for forgiveness and come and follow me. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins so that we can enter in. But we notice that it's not just the gate that leads us to experiencing all of the flourishing of life that God would have in his kingdom, but it's also this long and narrow pathway. Jesus says that as you come in, you also have a road paved before you by Jesus, and he invites us to walk in the way of him. Jesus invites us to be his disciples, or another word for that is his apprentices. He he invites us to, to study him, to watch him, to learn from him, and then to act and behave like him, to have his attitudes. When we talk as a church about how we want to see people be passionate followers of Jesus, we don't want people to just understand that they need him, but we want people to become like him and help others to understand that they need him and how to become like him. Dallas Willard, when he was talking about the narrow way in this passage, said this. He, he essentially was saying, to be a disciple of Jesus is to say that I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. So as we walk along the path of following Jesus, as we carry on through the narrow way, what we do is we don't just try to forge our own way and and broadly walk around like if we had this big open path before us, but we try to stay to the footsteps of Jesus and live our lives the way that he would live. When we enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us that we need to live by his principles. But he's, he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't try to pull something over on us. There's no bait and switch. He said it's not going to be always easy. It's not going to be everything that you might always want because the way is narrow. But he says that way is good. Jesus says we're going to have to live differently than the world. You can look over there and see the world's going to tell you you can go in all these different ways because the path is broad. But remember where that ends up. But instead if we stay to this tight and narrow path, it doesn't actually confine us but it guides us to everything we want to receive. God's way isn't come to by democracy. 
he's got a kingdom. So that means we can't live our lives by what the majority say. We have to live by what the one true king has to say. So why, if there's this good way, this clear way to live and achieve life and eternity with God, do people skip past what is freely given? I mean, Jesus died for the sins of all, and it's, it's through his grace that we can come by faith to him with a, this gift that's freely given. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We, we're obedient after it because we see the benefit of it, but we don't have to earn it. So, so why, if we don't have to earn it and there is this good thing, why, why do people skip on by this path and this this great gate that he opens up for us. Well, there's three reasons that I can see that people ignore the way of Jesus. Three things that I see in Matthew chapter 7 that tell us why people skip the narrow gate. And the reasons are this, that we are evil, that we want a life of ease, and that we receive false teaching. Let's start with this first one. That we are evil. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, what we looked at as a church together last week, we saw that Jesus said this, If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, notice Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He cuts to the chase. He tells us how it is. He says, though you are evil. And let's remember that he's not talking to a group of bad people. He's not talking to these Roman centurions who are overthrowing people's lives. He's talking to a group of people who are following him and trying to listen to him and learn from him. He says, even you are evil. And scripture affirms to us that people are evil by nature. Ever since the fall that we read about in Genesis, people have... Uh, come to what we call original sin, that we are predisposed because of the brokenness of our world and the sinful nature of our world to go in the ruts that lead on the broad path. Now, sometimes people bristle up about that. We, we would like to think, especially in our culture, that people are good and ultimately good people will get what they deserve and the karma will take care of the bad and reward the good. But the truth is that we are all evil. We all sin. We all go against God's way. And it's not just a thought or maybe an idea or a concept. This is something that is verifiably truth. I mean, if you want to prove it at the simplest of levels, take small children. You could take a a giant room and take a toddler from every culture, every place, every nation, and bring them all together into a room. And if you put one single toy or snack in the middle and said, only whoever gets that will get to keep it, and everybody else you do without, those toddlers will cause anarchy. They'll fight each other. They'll cry. They'll scream. They'll chase after that one thing. Their selfishness will reign supreme, even at such a young age. If you don't want to look at a hypothetical situation, just look at your own life, your own attitude, your own actions. You can't tell me that what Jesus says isn't accurate. One novelist wrote, I do not know what is in the heart of a bad man, but I do know what is in the heart of a good man, and it is terrible. I know for myself that I can resonate with that quote. You know, I try to be a good person. I try to accomplish good things, and I, I even work in an environment that, that perpetuates that. I work with other followers of Jesus. I, 
I have the opportunity to read and study God's word and, and to talk about it and teach about it. And I have an opportunity in my work time to, to, to pray and to focus on, on godly things. But even as I try to aspire to be a good person, even as I sit in a, in a, in a good environment with good Christian family around me, I end up still with these places in my heart and mind where I want to rebel against God, where I want to go and do certain things, even though I know I shouldn't. There are these places that are tucked away that are against the ways and wishes of God. And God's not delusional. He knows that. If I can't even convince myself that I'm 100% good, how would I convince him? God understands that we are evil. Second reason we might skip by the narrow gate is because we want a life of ease. In verse 13, Jesus says, For wide is the gate, broad is the road that will lead to destruction. This idea of a broad road isn't just that it's spacious and that there's a lot of people on it, but it's supposed to give us this connotation that it's easier. Instead of being a rocky, bumpy path or maybe one that meanders, it's this easy road that stretches before us. Jesus says the narrow road is going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. It's going to look different than the broad road. There's going to be, the broad road's all about uh, me, but the narrow road's all about him. There's going to be places where if we want to live out his kingdom principles, we're going to have to feel remorse for our sin. We're going to have to die to our selfishness. We're going to have to seek what he wants instead of what we want. And so while there's that path, the world says This is here for you. As long as you're true to yourself, as long as you're sincere, as long as you do what feels good, go ahead and do it. I heard one pastor from uh, the UK use an analogy of if you were traveling carrying a lot of baggage. He said, imagine you're going through life and you got two big suitcases, two big pieces of luggage, and they're holding all the stuff of the world that you want to carry with you. Imagine you come to a fork in the road with that and you had to choose which way you would go. The most people, it would be easy. They would see a big, beautiful gate with lots of room for them to just drag their baggage on by. And and as they look at that gate, it's going to look like it says fun and freedom. And what's going to happen is they're going to come up to that gate and then look next to it and see this tiny, little, simple, old gate. And it's going to say, life this way. But as they look at it, they're going to see only a few people head down that path and they're going to see that they have to leave some of their luggage at the gate. The experience that many of those people will have as they stare at those two gates is that someone will will come back from that narrow gate and be like, you know what, I just went and checked that place out and you do not want to go. You know, that gate actually has blood all over it from the weird guy who opens and closes the gate. And that weird guy is actually going to say, hey, let me carry your your bags for you and he's going to get his blood all over you and then he's going to tell you, walk exactly where I walk and follow me and then I'll take you to where you want to be. That person's going to look at that gate, come and tell you that, and then they're going to go down the big, broad, open road because it seems so much better to them. And so what are you going to do? What are people going to do? Which one are they going to choose? Life's got enough problems of its own. So why would I choose the difficult way? I'm going to go the way that is easy. 
But the sad part is that when that decision is made, so few people to fail to see the destination. They fail to understand that not only will Jesus, as he opens the gate, as he covers us with the forgiveness of our sins by his blood from the cross, that he will take care of the important stuff, that he will ease us by taking away the heavy baggage and burdens that we carry, that he will provide exactly what we need. So we skip by because of we're evil. We skip by because we want it easy. And then we skip by because of false teaching. I'm not going to go too far into this because Pastor Dennis is going to talk about it next week. But if you were to read ahead in, in chapter 7 at verses 15 to 23, you would read that there's going to be people who come and teach what's contradictory to the way of Jesus. There's going to even be people who say, hey, this is what God's all about. And they're going to teach things that are outright wrong. They're going to teach things that are contrary to kingdom values or watered down kingdom values. And they're going to lead people towards the broad gate thinking they're going through the narrow. To simplify this and to, to state it this way, if there is anything that says, hey, this is the way, and it doesn't tell us that people are sinful, that we're in need of God, that Jesus died and rose again for our sin, if it doesn't teach those things, it's not leading us in the right way. But sadly, because people are easy, because they want uh, because people are evil, because they want it easy, and because they hear false teaching, people will choose the wrong path. So the question today is, what will you choose? How will you act? How will you live in response to this truth? My hope is first and foremost that you will trust and listen to Jesus, that you will follow him. If you feel like you're on a journey in life and you don't know ultimately where it will lead for eternity, wrestle with the teachings of Jesus. Listen to what he wants to provide. Know that he wants to lead you towards a flourishing life, a, a life that, yes, will make his name greater known, but the life that will be best for you in doing so. Jesus will point out that there is a narrow way, but it is open for you because he died for your sin so that you might turn from the way that you are going to receive by his grace and mercy through faith the wonderful gift that he has for you. If you've been going in a way where you have questioned God's wisdom and direction in a certain part of your life, I would encourage you to reevaluate. Am I looking for a democratic solution? Am I looking for where the majority of people are going or am I looking to the wisdom and guidance of Jesus? And if there's a place that you're struggling to trust him, if there's a next step that, 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 that you're concerned about or you have fear about, I would encourage you to look at what Jesus has done by opening the gate for you and then choose in obedience to follow him. So let us trust him, let us follow him, and let us always stay on the path. I think right now in this place where our world is, it's so difficult to stay on the, on the path. There's so many competing voices. There's so many people saying, do this, don't do that. Redefine your life in this way. Forget anything that, that, that feels tough and difficult. The world's been difficult enough on its own. Go with me this way. And they lead us to, away from Jesus. Let us instead return 
to Jesus. Let us instead return time and time again to his word where we can understand the principles for how we ought to live and be reminded that as we stay on the path, we're experiencing more and more of the life and freedom that he wants us to provide. Let's keep a kingdom, an eternal perspective. If you think about all of eternity stretching out before you, and you knew that you had to go through 80 or 90 years of difficulty to experience the rest of eternity with life, would it not be worth living for those 80 or 90 years? We need to be people who think with eternity in mind. We need to be people who think with a kingdom mindset. And as we do that, let me encourage you that as you walk the narrow way to invite others to do the same. God will save all the people, but he partners with us to draw them in. God invites us to to not just live our lives differently, but share the good news of his name. You know, sometimes we, we think, if I just live my life differently, people will know that God has changed me. And sometimes, yes, that will be one of the best examples of, uh, of the life change we've received. But we also must call to people. We must encourage people to come to know Jesus. So many of us, all of us actually, we live so often and at different times with our head focused on the path in front of us. And, and it's hard enough to go ahead. And that's what your friends who don't know Jesus, that's what your family members who don't know Jesus, Jesus, that's what your co-workers who don't know Jesus are doing. They're trying to get through life. They're trying to find the right way, but they have their head down and they need you to reach out. They need you to call to them, to, to warn of what's ahead. I'm not saying go to all your neighbors and, and tell them they're going to hell in, in, in a mean and nasty way. Go to them and tell them that they're missing out on the life that stretches out before them. Invite them to see how Jesus takes away the baggage that we carry from the world and, and ensures that we have a lightness and flourishing of life. We do this not because we're superior, because we know that we needed Jesus to let us in through the gate. We don't, we don't do it because we're superior. We do it because we love those around us. Jesus says, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and only a few will find it. So let us be those who find life, who walk in it, and call others to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you not just for your word, but for who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross to die for us. Lord, that you came back to life for us. Lord, that you rose for us so that we could enter into your kingdom, so we could be adopted into your family, so that we could live for an eternity with you, so that we could have a path before us that would lead us in the right direction, so we would no longer have to be confused. God, we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live with us and in us and guide us and give us wisdom. And God, that you reveal your truth to us. God, I pray that you would continue to reveal your truth to us today. Would we look for the places that maybe we we want to walk with the world in and God would you convict us of those places that we would have the, the the strength by your spirit to carve them out of our lives so we can take the next step in our journey with you 
God, would you embolden us and give us courage to be able to call out to our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our our classmates. Lord God, would you give us the strength to, 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 to tell them and have the hard conversations with them, but the loving conversations with them, that they want to know you because of what you provide. And God, as we do that, would more people come to know your name? Would more people come to walk in your way? And Lord God, would your name be praised in all of this? So Lord, we thank you for how you speak to us today. And we look forward to following you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.